Ashley Lowe is in her fifth year of being a deaf and hard of hearing DHH specialist, and she is also an American Sign Language professor at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California, and a mother of five. Currently, she is the first and only profoundly deaf educator in special education program in the Stockton Unified School District and in San Joaquin County. She teaches and maintains a caseload with students from the DHH Deaf and Hard of Hearing program. She currently works with 9th through 12th graders at Edison High School and has previously worked at Walton Special Center for the Severe and St. Mary's High School. Her passion in the field of education stems from her own experiences, having graduated from Stockton Unified as a fully mainstream special education student. Ashley is a fourth generation Stocktonian and her children are fifth generation. Ashley is teaching for the same district she attended as a student. She has attended UC Davis and Gallaudet University and National University. She received her bachelor's, master's, and credential for teaching deaf and hard of hearing and autism. She is working toward her PhD in special education and an administration credential, even though she's already been told that she does not qualify to be a school administrator simply because she is deaf. She is determined to change the face of deaf education, especially in public school settings. Thank you so much for joining us today at Educators Not Robots, where we humanize the educational experience. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you are using. Positive reviews help us reach a wider audience and share this incredible story of everyday teachers. And now we introduce Ashley Lowe. Perfect. So we have Miss Ashley Lowe with us, Stockton Unified School teacher who teaches deaf and hard of hearing students and is herself fully deaf. And um, and we have her interpreter with us, Jennifer Larson, whose voice you will be hearing in the recording. And we're excited to have you. Welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here too. So um, before we like start with everything, we want to, you are originally here from Stockton, born and raised. Yes, fourth generation. So my kids are now the fifth generation. Excellent. And what school do you teach at? Right now I am at Edison High School. And so we have Edison High School here. And um, let's talk about why you're a teacher. What made you become a teacher? What was your journey to this to this moment? Yes, yes, of course course. Um, so really, there's a lot to unpack. So really, the reason I became a teacher, growing up, um, I was in special ed myself, um, really, uh, specifically, a deaf and hard of hearing special day class. And looking back, I was the only able to stay on grade level. Um, we had really the use of two languages at one time. My classmates, my peers, they weren't provided the same opportunities that I had. My whole family um, paid their way to learn sign language. When so many students um, at my time back then, and even my students now, their families don't have the finances or the privilege to pay to learn that language. So that right there was one of my motivating factors 
that I'm tired of seeing this. And, you know, another situation when I was in seventh grade, uh, many of my classmates uh, were being like held back twice. They weren't able to attend their home school. So they weren't being taught how to stand up and how to advocate for themselves. They were never provided the opportunity to learn how to communicate with other hearing people. So, you know, the phone, pencil and paper, because really here's the problem. Many deaf students um, struggle with understanding printed English. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. So that is um, like in deaf education, that's something that you see. And my experience growing up, I was one of the few privileged students when I'm, and when I say privileged, I mean that I had support from my family that they signed, that they used two languages, two cultures, you know, that I'm deaf and they would say, uh, don't allow that barrier to impact you from being able to succeed and achieve your goals. Cause many students that I grew up with, they weren't provided that. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the many reasons why I became a teacher. Cause really my own experiences, I remember telling myself in fourth grade, like if I'm a teacher, I would never do that. Oh, I would do this and this and this, and I'm going to show everybody and prove them wrong. So I, that's always been the fire inside of me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's one of the many reasons. I love um, it. I love, love it. it. I feel like that's, I, I feel like every teacher has that story where at some point they were in the K through 12 system and they're like, if I was a teacher, I would do this, this, and this. And then one day they said, and you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, I'm going to go be a teacher and I'm going to show them how it's done. <laughs> and that's how we make it different. I mean, that's how you all are um, making it different. Yeah, I mean, preach it. I love that. I mean, I fight my way and I fought my way to become a teacher. Hmm you know, with um, the CTC tests and the accommodations. Mm. And I mean, it's everything that you could think of. I had to work a, twice as hard to do. And I don't want to see that for my students and their future. I want them to become whatever career or profession they want. I don't want those barriers for them like I had to face. Did you have that? I'm going to, I mean, I'll be straight with you, especially for the, a public setting with public education. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other topic. We may have well, to no, that's, that's the one I like to ask about is you feel like in Stockton's public education system, were there enough supports uh, for, you know, deaf people and, and how has it changed over time? Ooh, <laughs> um, that's one thing I've been saying. I mean, I hope I don't get in trouble for being so truthful, um, frank and direct, hmm. but I just want to remind everybody that um, the ADA is only 30 years old. 
and I myself am 33. Yeah. So basically to answer your question by saying that like a yes or a no, I'm going to have to say no. Right. From my experiences as a student who graduated and it's not just the district where I currently work in, it's all of it. All over. Right. It's all over the state of California. Where where in every district I don't think they have the training to like push aside the concept of ableism. Mm-hmm. So oppression. Um Lingui- linguisticism mm. and like language um, preference mm. for them. So since I have been the first profoundly deaf teacher in the deaf and hard of hearing programs, my students are older and they come to me not being comfortable with their identity. Mm. They're not having um, strong signing skills there's no foundation for learning two languages at the same time, especially with their families at home. They're not English speakers at home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Think about those families. Right. Because if we can help those families provide and provide free sign language classes or home instructions one-on-one, like something that we're doing now, right you will notice that the concept of bilingualism Mm -hmm. and really biculturalism, Mm -hmm. those two key things are what like our programs really need in order to improve. I mean, just think about that. Many deaf students struggle with printed English. You know, I mean, that's not a thing. We're not able to do that. I recognize that many general ed philosophies about learning a language are always through what? It's always through the auditory ability. Mm -hmm. And so if you understand like the science and the proof, it's not through the auditory stuff. It's the visual learning. Mm -hmm. And what I really wish that I had way back then, ASL curriculum. Yeah. Uh with captions in printed English across the bottom so that I would get the visualness of two English of two languages right. and it would be, you know, that comprehension would be included. Right. Because many people just focus on like speech huh. as the primary focus. So that's, I mean, I don't want to say like too much oh, I mean, without really hurting the image of the district. No, no. But at the same time, I mean, it's everywhere. Right. Right. It's, it's like the district is part of a bigger system that if they're not, they're not doing it correctly, but then who's modeling the correct way to do it for them too. And I think like even in, in every, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Exactly. And I think exactly. I think even in every interview I've done, there's always a little bit of like venting that we have with our districts. And I think what's important, though, is it's been brought up each time that teachers, we know that as much as we get angry at our district, they're part of a greater system 
that is doing the same thing. And if there's very few districts doing it differently, um, they're taking a risk, those districts. And so I think a lot of times the anger for some of us is like, man, how come our district won't take that risk? Well, we know why, because that comes with blowback. <laughs> yeah. So if not the district, where did you feel that you received the most support when you were in school? And then now, where do you feel that your students are getting the most support? Collaboration with so many deaf educators around the U.S. Wow. I'm blessed to go to Gallaudet University, Gallaudet. Um, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. um, very, very um, shortly. Um, from there, I was able to build my network. Um, I'm always asking for help. Um, what would you do? Because if you think about like the CDE, they don't have a curriculum. They don't have a state recognized curriculum for foundations um, like language acquisition. Mm -hmm. So that's really concerning. And the only thing they have is like lead K and that's for the kids under five. Mm. But then after that, where, where is it? What the deaf state school? Like I tend to collaborate a lot with them because they are the lead trainers and the subject matter experts of that system of their institution. So from a public school standpoint, that's like the biggest issue that we see in California right now is that there's no one on the same page. There's no one that has the right exact curriculum that we can follow for students that are lagging behind with language acquisition, uh, language comprehension. Um, there's nothing. In, in I, the state school in Fremont? Is that the, is the, the school in Fremont the... And there's one in Riverside. Uh, so we have two. There are two. Huh. Yeah, I just assumed that, I guess there was a curriculum and that there was some sort of standardization, but it seems that you're telling, not even close. What about, you know, we've heard of uh, Gallaudet University as well. That, so you're a graduate of, uh, okay, that's awesome. Well, no, I didn't graduate. Okay. I did transfer but I found that uh, the accreditation, um, so I did transfer back and I started all over again. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. kind of a hot mess story. So we, <laughs> we will do that one. <laughs> but um, you're right. There's, there's nothing. So for example, I'm deaf. I've been asking, what do we use when we do for our trainings, we receive zero feedback wow. for educators wow. and deaf education. So, do you do you? Yeah. Um, what's your What's your feeling about the these types of schools with all deaf school or or all deaf university? Do you feel like it seems like there would be a benefit to at least um, you know? Uh, I guess exposure and an emphasis on deaf culture, but um, what 
what do you feel are the benefits and 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 possibly the weaknesses of um i guess doing a all deaf uh campus Ooh, that is a good question <laughs> every deaf person thinks differently mm. uh feels differently for me and my perspective on that specific topic um, you have to remember that I did grow up mainstream mm -hmm. in the learning culture. I was never really taught how to handle my identity, how to approach my identity. Yeah. I wasn't given the tools to handle when I'm faced with that t situation as a deaf student. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is nice and it is wonderful uh, for the deaf state schools, for Gallaudet as a deaf university, because everyone signs. But again, that is, is that really how the real world works? Mm. You know, we live in a hearing culture and a hearing world. So we need more opportunities, more programs that teach deaf children, even adults, how to relate to their identity, uh, their language use. Uh, and also I'm gonna have to throw in like the mental health aspect of it. Mm -hmm. big part, big part. There's nothing, That's I mean, huge. nothing. That's huge. So at a deaf school and a deaf university, they're ready, they have the resources, they have the counselors who sign. There's no third party like that we're having now with the interpreter going back and forth. So. I mean, it's wonderful, the resource to have access as a deaf person, but again, does it solve everything? No, mm -hmm. no, but the resources, I mean, I would love to have that to be able to pull from for I our deaf community. And, and when I say deaf, and I don't mean to like marginalize the hard of hearing students, I mean, all hearing losses mm -hmm. yes yes understood this really makes me think about the whole time we've been talking i i don't know if you've read um between the world and me by ta-nehisi coates but he talks about the historically black college he went he went to howard right yeah yeah so and how he calls it the mecca and i think of gallaudet being the mecca for the deaf community and like but and i hear a lot of conversations about that too hbcus there's a lot of controversy from black families where they're like Yes, if you go to an HBCU, you're finally gonna be in community with your people, but the rest of the world is not that way. You leave the university, you're back in the war. And are you able to navigate? Yeah, and I just think that's what it makes me think. It's just so synonymous with the experiences of, of black people. Um, and, and I think that's what people don't, a lot of people don't understand that deafness is not just a a, a physical thing it's a community it's a culture it has its own language and um it's hard for people to understand that yes. there's, there's a whole yeah, yeah there's, <laughs> there's a whole identity that goes with it and that it actually is very much synonymous with what black people feel in the country of not feeling like they fit in not being taught to advocate for themselves in a world that's against them and then having their own schools that can't provide everything they need. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I feel like I tell my students, 
you have to realize that you are different but that's okay yeah so people will love you for you and for who you are if people can't see through and beyond that barrier of a language or with signing or with hearing level those people don't even i mean <laughs> philosophy there's so many ignorant people in this world but again what can what can we do we can educate them mm. absolutely and i mean i wish it wasn't so cheesy but you know <laughs> no, it's so true though philosophy because people aren't exposed to it because again the ada was only developed 30 years ago and so, I mean, I had to fight in, for interpreters hmm. for my education. The district would not provide them because they didn't want me to go home, to be homeschool, I, I, or didn't want me to go to my homeschool, which was SAG. Hmm. So they wanted me to go to Edison for the SDC program. Hmm. And they would not measure my abilities. It was only looking at a paper saying, Oh, she's deaf. Whoop. Oh, well. So for so that crazy. and that concept, that's what's happening right now across yeah. the board, across the country. I actually see that. So before the recording, I had mentioned my sister. My sister lost her hearing as a baby and is fully deaf but has cochlear implants. So um, she had to go to the school in the district that had the SDC program didn't have to, but it was a choice that was made. And one of, there was a couple reasons. One, um, the teacher that she was going to work with, she had actually been working with her whole life. And so um, we wanted, they, the family wanted her to stay with that teacher. But also um, one of the things my parents said is, you know, there's some scholarships available and financial aid available only if she participates in the SDC program at that school and it's not provided at any of the other high schools. So it was like, there was like some barriers there cause she, she wanted to go to the same high school as my brothers went to, but she couldn't go to school with her brothers because it wasn't offered at that school. It's offered at the one she ended up going to. And so, yeah, like I remember that it was just really hard. And my parents felt terrible cause they're like, I understand she wants to go to the school with her brothers, but she's going to lose out on some things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I 100% relate with your sister because that is the same situation that happened to me in oh seventh grade. God. And at the end of our IEP for eighth grade, for the following year, the school, the program specialist, uh, special ed director or something, I just remember there were over 15 people at this meeting that I had when I was like in seventh grade. And they told me, Ah, you will not go to STAG. Mm -mm, nope, you are going to go to Edison and that's it. And I still bothers me. It, it just still really bothers me really badly because I, I had had the same group of friends since second grade. Yes. Oh, my God. And to be marginalized like that, my mother, she decided, nope, that's it. I'm going to war with the special ed department. Mm. She did for one year, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Wow. I mean, she, even the teacher, the deaf and hard of hearing teacher at that time told me, 
about my mother, she said, you will never succeed in an all hearing environment. Oh my God. Because <laughs> you can't hear. And so that was my seventh grade as a 12 year old girl. Right. I mean, I mean, I still have the trauma, you know, I joined the cheerleading team with my friends and, you know, I was planning all this stuff to do everything that I wanted, but she just told me, nope, you can't do sports. You can't do extracurricular activities um, because we don't want to pay for the interpreters. Oh my God. And my mother, who uh, was a single mom. Wow. She worked so hard. She researched the laws all on her own. Now remember, ADU is only 30 years old. Yeah. Well, she had to search all over for help. She was lucky that she found a nonprofit agency uh, called NorCal uh, Center for Deaf and Hard of Hearing. And they provided IEP support. And because of them and my mother's tireless efforts of looking and researching, we won. Yeah. And I went to STAG and I was on the cheerleading team. Um, I was two years as the captain of the varsity team. I was on the swim team. I was involved with musical theater uh leadership i mean ap honors classes Mm -hmm. so all because of of what because they didn't because they didn't want to pay for the interpreter oh my god that is so (laughs) (laughs) so that's my personal goal that i'm always trying to tell the parents you are the one deciding what is best for your child and many many don't know that they have the rights to fight for their kids Mm. and so that's where i just really feel as a teacher and as a deaf person that i i have more than one identity when it comes to this situation especially for the deaf hard and hearing community who has been so marginalized mm-hmm. for, I mean, as long as, as we can remember, because before ADA, they had two options for deaf students. They went to a deaf institution or they went to a mental institution. That was it. Oh my God. Wow. I do remember hearing those stories about deaf children being sent away to mental institutions and how horrifying that was because these are fully capable human beings who just happen to not be able to hear and were put into these situations where they were considered um, mentally inadequate. Yeah. And to, and to think like after all this time, like, okay, so we don't do that anymore, but we're still doing this to these children to, to have an adult directly tell a child, you're never going to, this is the part that bothers me about that statement. Oh, You're never yeah. going to make it in an all-hearing school, but you live in an all-hearing world. So what? what is... What are you trying to say? What right? are you trying to say? The implications, right? Yeah. <laughs> because... Yes. Yeah, even my mother. I mean, for as awful of an experience that, before we started school, when she found out that I was deaf at 18 months, my mother and father were both looking and trying to find people. Many of them told my parents... Oh, 
your profoundly deaf child will never pass fourth grade reading level. Oh Good luck. Good luck to you. What nonsense. That, that my parents found over and over again. And they really were, became more pro proactive at learning the language, speech therapy, being able to be included in sports and dance and gymnastics and skating and I mean, the drums even, I mean, mm. I even took a few classes. I mean, you can do it. I wanted to. So why can't deaf children have that chance to do anything that they want to? Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's my <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm so extra. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I love it. And you're, you know, your mother sounds like she's an amazing, amazing person being extra is what got you into stag like your mom had to be extra to get you to that school to get you a normal experience like normal right like to you're gonna have to live in this world so let's start training you in your high school years absolutely absolutely and it wasn't just my mother it was also my grandmother who went to school with me for the first five years to make sure that I was okay, wow. to make sure the teacher was not doing what they were supposed to do with me. Mm. You know, deaf students like me, we were pushed aside a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, my whole family learned to sign. I knew what was going on at home. I knew, I know I drove my family crazy. What's that? Who's talking? Well, you're on the phone. What's for dinner? Uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? But the fact is that I had language. Mm -hmm. When so many deaf children have to cry and point mm -hmm. and throw tantrums and and no one understands them. I'm actually really curious about that. You will see a lot of uh, behavior reduction uh, traumatizing events will be reduced. Um, that will all be reduced if they took the time to learn the language. Um, so, so for like, like you and I, as a, if you think about it as a child, you know, you already know a different language. Like, what would you do? What would you do? Right. You would learn and meet like halfway. Right. So many people don't. Many people don't. It's easy to ignore the the situation that there's a language barrier. So if people would just meet halfway, you would notice a huge difference in those children. And forgive my uh, lack of knowledge about this but um what is the what are what are the demographics in terms of language acquisition are are, are is it mostly the case that uh children are deaf and have to then acquire language or is it that at least for in your experience with like your students do you have some children who have language acquisition and then become deaf it, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have many who are born hearing, uh, and then later they get sick or something with their genetics, then they have a hearing loss. Mm -hmm. um, 
I feel that they're going through like emotional and mental transitions of being able to hear and then to all of a sudden being deaf. Mm. It's a different culture. It's a different identity. There's different hardships. Um, so the oppression and the discrimination is huge mm. for those who become deaf. There's no one that can help them to go through the grief process. And now we have students who have uh, who are implanted. I mean, they have perfect speech and everything, but there's no comprehension. Mm-hmm. So English, they they see it in school, but you know they've been trained to speak. Mm-hmm. They have the training to speak, but what do those students do when the district tests them for comprehension? Mm. So, so there's so many different variations that what if the families don't speak English? Right. What if they don't have the privilege to attend classes to learn sign language? I mean, there's so many factors, so many factors that again, if you feel that you have like any other questions, come to us. We'll teach you. We'll tell you, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry about that. We need allies. Oh, for we sure. need allies. I really love this because I am like, I feel like I keep going back to the early years when my sister first lost her hearing and my family had to transition because there was definitely even you talked about the grieving process. So my sister was born hearing. She got sick. Um, so for her, it was, I think, about the same age, about 18 months. So I don't think she has memory of sound. I don't know. I've never actually asked her. But um, she speaks well. Um, but I do remember when um, she started getting into kindergarten and going to elementary school. And she was working with the, the SDC teachers. And there was a specific teacher or psychologist or someone that she wouldn't talk to. So my sister would talk a lot, too. She was just constantly like, what are you doing? What is this? Da, 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 da. My brother's nickname for her was Mrs. Talk. Because especially when the implants came in. So it was not, it wasn't just the signing. It was the actual, I'm practicing my voice because I can hear it now and I'm going to talk. Then she'd go to school. She was supposed to work with this woman who was helping her with speech and she wouldn't talk to her. And then she would contact my parents and say, your daughter's not talking. And my parents were like, what do you mean? She never stops. (laughs) What are you talking about? Come to find out, my sister just didn't like this particular teacher. And from what I've heard, I don't blame her. (laughs) <laughs> and um this teacher... no 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 it's a very common experience um that's what i'm calling like the trauma in education mm-hmm. um i mean if you think about it some students don't like a specific teacher for example i'll explain i'm not gonna say what happens now but i know that there are many teachers when they have a deaf or hard of hearing student that doesn't look at them, they will walk up and they will just bang on the table and say, look at me. Or they'll throw stuff at them. Um, They'll wave at them with a very angry face and say, oh, they're not involved. Um, Let's laugh at her. Her speech is different. So, I mean, that's what happened to me when I was growing up in the deaf education system. Like, I mean, I refused 
speech. I refused to sign if I didn't like that person. If I didn't like them, that was my way of controlling the situation. Yes. So maybe in your sister's eyes or in her mind, that hurt was her way of controlling the situation and just saying, if you don't make me feel safe enough or comfortable enough, then why should I do this? Mm -hmm. So it's the same concept with speech therapy. Many students, um, when they become older, they say, ah, I'd like to stop this because I just kind of feel like, hey, why do I need to do this? It's embarrassing for the other classmates mm -hmm. or for the people who can hear and they can hear their voice. That's traumatizing to the students themselves. Same concept with like the teachers. Any moment that there's a, a trauma happening, that's it. That's it. Um, that's why I explained to people who work with the deaf and hard of hearing students, like, don't get offended. I need you to understand where they're coming from. Earn their trust because you are not deaf yourself. Yeah. You're coming from a hearing mind to try and fix them rather than by helping them and saying, hey, this is something cool or make them feel important. So that's one thing that many, many deaf students that grow up and become adults, that they will let you know that that, that they didn't feel comfortable or they didn't feel safe. Mm. So that's a really big thing. And it sounds like it was really true with this teacher because when I never met this woman, I was I was in college at the time, so I'd get these stories secondhand, but she sounded like a real B word to avoid cussing. So I didn't blame my sister for acting that way. <laughs> but then, but what really made my family upset is she went back to my parents and said, you need to stop teaching her sign language. And my parents at that point had come to terms with her learning sign language. And that, that teacher I had mentioned that grew up with my, my sister was the one when they, my parents went to her and said, they want us to stop teaching her sign language. And she said, you will not stop teaching her sign language. And um, she gave, she kind of helped give her, my parents words, like, here's how you respond to that. And ultimately it was finally, somebody was able to come in and test my sister and verify, oh, she does speak. In fact, she speaks very well. Um, my sister speaks so well that our cousins who are the same age as her didn't know she was deaf until they were in middle school. And I always love to tell that story because they grew up with her one day. Wow, my... she worked hard for that. Yeah. She worked hard for that. She, um, when I, I found out because my aunt told me, you know, one day I was talking to the kids and I said something about, oh, you know, Isabel's come a long way. And then they were like, what do you mean she's come a long way? What, what happened to her? And then you're like, you know, because she's deaf. <laughs> Isabel's deaf? And yeah, they're they like, even... <laughs> uh, yeah, when, when did she become deaf? She's been deaf since she was a baby. And they were, what? Wait, but she talks to us. And then they, and so they, they couldn't get it. They, they didn't understand. My sister's also got thick, curly black hair. So you can't see the implants at all. And like, and they just, they were yeah, completely astounded. So thinking about that teacher who's like, she's not learning to speak. You need to stop. It was like, uh, she speaks so well that people don't even know that this teacher was so awesome that she, yes, I mean, that's very, very common. That's why a lot of people think that sign language you should you should stop for this don't speak and that's not true because huh, <laughs> there we go we're gonna go back again so for before the ada 
Mm-hmm. Um, deaf education was not based on signing. It was based on oralism mm-hmm. and oral education. So sign language was, if you use sign language way back then, you were punished. Oh my gosh. You, you would be spanked on your hands. Um, everything they could do to make you not use your hands. Wow. So it's like education beforehand was trying to normalize quote unquote uh, normalize deaf children what? so the same is happening today because i'll tell you now in the hospitals when uh, a child is born deaf the nurses and the doctors will come into the room with a really sad face mm. and they'll say oh your child has failed the hearing test mm, yeah. oh so think about that. When parents hear that word, that word failed, that automatically, like, they all think, oh, my God, we have to fix them. We need to do everything we can to make right. them the same as me. Right. But, but I would love it if, like, the medical profession and the medical field changed their approach and instead said, hey, We've detected some hearing loss in your child, in your baby, but hey, we have so many amazing resources. Uh, We can provide you with the name of an agency and a specialist in education. Here you go. Rather than saying, oh, you need to fix their ears. Mm -hmm. Rather than the approach of saying, hey, this is how we can help you because many parents don't realize that that birth to three, that there is a birth to three program for the babies that actually works with the babies and develops like an IFSP, which means an individualized family services plan. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. So many of those IFSP um cases sometimes those classes like maybe they didn't meet their goal for language acquisition but again many of the specialists are not trained in deaf education say well they will label many deaf children as lsl which means like speech language rather than focusing on like the education and the language Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of a hot, hot taboo type of thing with them. I mean, come on. I mean, would you would you really like it if you were like, hey, your child failed? Right. She failed the hearing test. Well, I mean, come on. That's, just mm-hmm. think about how that comes across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much pain and grief that causes that will continue through the rest of their education. I mean, even now, I mean, I respect those who don't want to sign, especially because, I mean, that's the parent choice. But the sad part of it is many of those parents, when those children come into high school, they tell me, can you tell my kids to stop smoking weed? Can you tell my kid to use a condom? Can can you interpret that for me? Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it hurts me a lot because... Many families will never sh- were never shown how to communicate with their deaf child. If a family took the time to learn to work with them, for example, like your sister, Isabel, 
like me, we are the rare ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. think about that. I mean, that, just something to think about. The one thing I think that was really impactful for my mother-in-law, she, she, I read and I've heard the story from her about how the the teacher was able to connect her to other deaf families. Yeah. And that made the biggest impact on her her feeling about you know what it means to have a deaf child. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest impact and it and it was beautiful that you know that's why to this day they they count that teacher as part of the family. Yeah, really. we, they always say she's part of our family. She actually, I'm trying to get her on this show because <laughs> yeah. she, she's actually was nominated to be teacher of the yeah. year and that I didn't realize that's such an involved process. So she had, when I, I asked her to come on the show, she's like, I have to write all these essays and do this. So I'm trying to get her on the show, but she, um, she did. I remember she used to come to our house when, and I think, and maybe it is that program you mentioned, I don't remember, but she'd come when my sister was still a toddler she would teach us basic sign language, and but she worked mostly with my sister. And then she taught us about deaf culture and that it is a culture. And my parents were going through their grieving process of the loss of hearing. And um, when they would say some things that could have been, you know, they were kind of ableist things and because they were learning. And she'd be like, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. And she, and I remember with the, um, my mom was struggling so much mm. with the, the hearing loss and just couldn't get over it. And then Rachel, her name's Rachel, she went, she found a, a, a Hispanic family because my, my parents are Hispanic, they're Mexican, that they had been going through this for a few years. Their child spoke English, Spanish, and sign language. And that changed hey. my parents' life. Like that was the turning point for them. And they became my sister's biggest advocates. And it was, I mean, Rachel did that for us. Yeah. <laughs> like She was incredible. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love that. I mean, so much. That is what I'm telling my parents now. Even though my students are older, they will tell me, where was that when, like, my child was little? Mm-hmm. Where was that? Because you have to understand that in this district where I work, um, we don't have a deaf mentor. We don't have... Um, like family, like pair ups with mm. older students, with parents who have already experienced these things to say, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to learn English to learn sign language. No, 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 no. You need to learn how to like connect and work with your child. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that relationship, many of those deaf children when they grow up they'll become like resentful they'll stop wearing any of their assistive devices mm-hmm. they won't help they'll just be like i'm deaf mm-hmm. yeah so that right there i mean it's heartbreaking we don't even have like a mental health resource for deaf students we don't have like a mentor program we don't have like an asl specialist we don't have family nights like set up. I mean, right now, you know, of course, with like Corona and all that, but um, we don't even have like anything that talks about like the taboo things with a deaf child. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you punish your deaf child? How do you work with your deaf child? How, I mean, all of those things 
there's no one to help guide them through this process. Parents and families just think it's best if they come from the same background and that it's easier for them to like relate and collaborate. I mean, same as your family experience. I mean, you, I just have to say you have wonderful parents and I wish my students had parents like yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just want to say thank you for sharing your sister's story. Yeah. Thank, I mean, thank you for this too. Like, I feel like I didn't, I feel like I'm learning more. So like, because I'm the sister, I wasn't as involved and I'm, we have an 18 year difference between us. Yeah. I was 18 when she was born. So I was away. (laughs) I always joke on my dad that he got one daughter out and brought another one in. (laughs) One daughter out, one daughter in. (laughs) So he, um, so like there were, there were things though that like I, Rachel had taught me a lot of things. And then I went off to the military in college and I, you know, I was doing my own thing. And I think about one of the things that I think about a lot recently in the last few years is I didn't keep up with learning sign language. Obviously I'm not, I would be doing it if I (laughs) knew how to speak it. And I remember when I came back to California and I, um, I, I actually got my first, um, deaf student last school year and he, he has cochlear implants and he freshman in high school, uh, we met with the mom and she's like, he's been, you know, he, he knows what he needs. He knows how to self advocate. He, they showed us a video he helped make for his elementary school. Um, they, they, it was like an intro to the school and they wanted it to be inclusive. So they included him and some other kids and he like, it was, it was super adorable. We all thought it was cute. And he's sitting at the table the whole time, just so embarrassed. And, um, during the year he didn't want, we had to use a mic and he didn't every time i asked for the mic it was broken it, he lost yeah, it yeah. uh it needed new batteries yeah and i was like and i was i thought your mom said that you were good and it doesn't seem like you're good and he's like no 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 it's not that it's 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 the battery and then we start i talked to his speech therapist and he's like yeah all the teachers are saying he's doing that talk to the mom the mom's like no you need to use the mic don't so first she was like you know, like he will, he'll do it. He knows what he needs. You won't even need to ask me. And then she started saying, oh no, you're going to need to force him to give it to you. And so, and it was really hard. So I remember having like a uh, personal emails with her where I was like, look, my sister went through this. Here's some things we went through. Um, here's some compromises that my mom did. And she kind of, and she kind of explained like, I get it. I don't want to compromise. He's got to use the mic. And I was like, okay, I go, but so then, and then I guess at some point he had shared, he was feeling some kind of emotional pain. And so, um, it kind of like the things you're talking about make sense now as to, cause we kind of, we all understood. We were like, he's embarrassed, you know, it's, he's, he's new in high school. He wanted to start fresh. And maybe part of that was not being the deaf kid in class. And, but to like, listen to the, what you've been sharing gives me more insight that now I'm like, dang, why didn't I do this interview last year? Why didn't I start this podcast last year? I could have helped him more, (laughs) but like, it just makes so much more sense now. And it gave me some insight on what my sister probably went through. No, I mean, that's so true. You have to understand that when deaf kids, when they develop their own identity, who they are, they will never 100% be confident in themselves because first of all, Hmm. I'm going to use me as an example Hmm. because there were a few times where I just 
I would just tell my friends, stop signing. There's boys looking at me. (laughs) And I'd be like, hey, hey. But again, it's, it's an, it's identity and how society looks at us, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying like me, but this applies to all students really. Yeah. Cause you have to understand when you're a kid and I'm going to say about 13, third, fourth grade, they start ripping their, their hearing aids off. They want to look normal. Mm-hmm. They want to look the same. They hate sitting in the front of the class mm-hmm. with the interpreter. They hate when the teacher bangs on their desk and says, hello, <laughs> look at me. And you're just like, oh my gosh, maybe they won't look at the interpreter. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's identity oppression. That's society looking at them and saying, oh, it's because she's deaf. Oh, she's deaf. You know, if I could make a movie, you know, like Mean Girls, it would be an ASL and <laughs> be like, oh, oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Because it's where these kids with hearing loss face every day. Mm-hmm. They want to please people around them and they want to make it easier for people around them. But the mental, emotional, like that exhaustion that they deal with. I mean, a seven-year-old sitting in class, they want to be able to talk with the other hearing kids and they'll be like, uh, you look like a monster. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, I'm just go off. Where are the tools that they're provided to face that situation? Mm-hmm. Many of us, I mean, many of those students have to figure out on their own. I mean, I'll I'll tell you something like right now, I mean, I've never really shared this, Hmm. but growing up, I was embarrassed to be deaf. Hmm. I was embarrassed to be around other deaf people because of their language and education abilities. And I would be like, Hmm. "Ugh." so that whole look, I didn't, I didn't analyze myself until I was about. 22 years old and realized what I'm doing was wrong. I was ignorant. I was elite. Mm. I was privileged. Mm. So, and I would have never said that until today because I have learned how to unpack myself as a person I was able to have access to English and ASL. My family had resources for me. They had jobs where they were flexible so that they could drive me to speech therapy Mm. and to whatever I needed. Now think about all of those students with like huge limitations. Their family and parents are working three or four different jobs, Mm -hmm. Um, have siblings, you have so many of these families. It's, do they have the time to take to learn another language? If you if you bring in all of those factors and bring them all together, that identity and that process of understanding and being able to face that situation 
like a student who wants to control their own environment. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You just ignore them and you just say, huh, this is what I'm going to do. So there's a lot of content to unpack mm-hmm. just that, that, that whole topic. There's no name for it. There's no name for what goes on. So, so that's why I just called like the taboo of deaf education. Yeah. I feel like I can kind of relate to some the aspect of feeling embarrassed about where you come from or your culture because my parents are both immigrants from the Philippines and I remember growing up they never taught me to speak the Filipino language mm-hmm. and it was like they well we we want you to be American we want you to sound like you you're from America so we're not going to teach you that I mean they they don't say that but I know I know why they did it and it, it's very common it's very common for for immigrant people to do that with their children. And, you know, I kind of grew up feeling apart from that. And also, you know, just learning like, well, it's 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 better to be like everyone else here and not associate with being an immigrant so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm completely it's hard. It's so hard. Yes. I mean, <laughs> You know how like the Mexican families, they would say, no, 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 you can't learn English. You can't learn English. And you see what happened with those generations. Mm -hmm. They've lost their language. So where where do they sit in the system? Mm -hmm. The system is run by people who are not trained in every field. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say, oh, no. but it's true because that oh, it, the God. same issues exist with our English language learners. Like we have the same, I mean, it, they used to be punished for speaking Spanish or whatever language that they came from. And, and now we know that, and I teach English language arts. So like I, it's always, we discuss how if our student it has a native language that's not English and they can read in that language, we need to build on that because if they can read in one language, then we can teach them to read in another one. And so, but previously, teachers used to do the opposite, and they just caused further harm for those English language learners. So now it's like really, I know for us in my department at my school, we're like, you can read in Spanish, then you're going to check out all Spanish books. <laughs> you're going to read and read and read, and we're going to work on the English reading together when we're, when we're reading together. And so it's the same thing, though. The system's still trying to catch up, and I know not all schools still do that, you know, so totally yeah. see it. Yes, yes, yes. But again, with deaf education, there's no ASL curriculum that's provided in ASL. There's no bilingual, there's no bicultural in public schools. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not their fault because they don't have the trained people from the state to do it. For them to set up anything to say, hey, this is what we need to do. Again, where do the districts go if there's no resources? Where do they go? They need to make that available. Mm-hmm. Make it available. I mean, I could go on about this I forever. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, it's so important though. And I feel like, it, I feel like we're really getting into something that deserves even more than an hour of conversation. I want to um, also talk about, though, 
the progress that you've seen, like maybe a little bit of the, the positive things that maybe technology is allowing for, um, mm -hmm. maybe also just like where you see the most improvement in, in and how you see these things benefiting uh, deaf and hard of hearing people. First, first, I'm a teacher for the district. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> first, fully profound um, teacher. If you notice all of the job descriptions for the district, that they have to have the physical ability to hear. I know. Oh, wow. I never noticed that. So I guarantee you, if you look up for any job, any job description, you have to um, crazy. be able to hear. When I first applied, they turned me down twice. I can't believe oh, that. Are you crazy? Yes, because I would have had to have an interpreter. I mean, whatever. So I just want to say uh, thank you. Uh, for this to say thank you for this district for for hiring me thank you for hiring me but um what happened was i just feel like yeah things are improving things are improving technology now um the students last year um i spent most of the year teaching them how to use their chromebook my deaf blind student never once used technology in his life. Oh my gosh. He was placed in the mod severe uh, category before he was placed in the deaf and hard of hearing program. Mm. And now technology, yes, that has improved, but like, is it really deaf friendly? No. Uh, no. no. So uh, what I do in my classroom is I have to like blow up like my whole Zoom class so that I can see all of them and that they can see everybody. And at the same time, um, I have to stop and I have to pause and I have to double check and I have to sign it differently. I have to, you know, because like right now I'm not really doing ASL. I'm doing more of PSE, which is like English on my mouth but signing from like an ASL standpoint. Mm. Um, deaf education with technology is improving. Um, it's more visual, more visual with signing. Um, I mean, I've started a new thing with um, my students. Instead of doing verbal assignments, when the stupid students read something, they have to sign it to themselves and take notes. Mm. Because again, remember, not many of them have the skills to read and write English. Mm -hmm. So if we don't practice the different ways and the different approaches to make sure that ASL is included first and then teaching them how to transition it to English, it's the same concept with you and your students with the reading in Spanish and understanding everything first and then reading in English. Deaf education is similar. I really, really wished that we had more materials in ASL where we could measure the true aptitude mm. of a deaf student, not based on English. Right. Uh -uh. No way. Based on their comprehension. Mm. Mm -hmm. I understand it while using sign language. I mean, really, 
that's not happening in this district. That's one thing I do wish we had was the use of like bilingual approaches and bicultural approaches. Oh, one day, one day, maybe that's, I just need to develop myself. <laughs> Forget about it. Um, I hope that, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yes, I think about, it hasn't. What about, you know, to be truthful, I'm a little bit nervous about going back with. I know, in how are you going to do math. that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm saying? You know, if I'm mad, I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. Mm -hmm. I mean, they need to see my face. So right now we're just researching what masks that I think the would be best. Shield. I mean, just buy them myself. Either they're the clear mask or they're yeah. a shield. Yeah. Um, you know, like the state of California um, has kind of excused deaf people from wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> to me, you're sending deaf deaf people to their graves because right. they're not going to wear a mask. And we'll be like, ah! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to say that. But um, small things like are disappearing. So technology, yes, it's great. It's improved. I mean, we can call each other like this. Mm -hmm. We can do this without being in person. Yeah. I can record my lessons and send them to my students if they are having technology struggles. Uh, they can't get into class. Um, they can look at their phones and say, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm thankful for, for technology. Yeah. Um, like I use it in the classroom, but again, there's no ASL curriculum. Right. What about so, your uh, membership in organizations, uh, uh, other educators that are, you said that you have support from other educators around the country. Um, what, what are these organizations? I mean, shout out to those organizations, if you would. We have Cal Ed, uh, which is really, uh, focused on deaf education. Um, we use that. Um, that's really the only one mm -hmm. I've involved with like local unions, you know, the CTA Stockton teachers association. Uh, but do they really provide support for deaf education mm -hmm. and resources? No, they don't. Uh, but the only right now, the membership that I'm involved with for California is Cal Ed. Okay. Is Cal um, if you want more information, you um, could contact uh, clerk, the center that provided is provided by Gall Gallaudet University. Mm. Uh, there's resources and stuff like that, but it's a little bit tough because that's in DC. Right. So it's a different state. Mm -hmm. So I, that's not really all I can. <laughs> Man, I was thinking. I was thinking that there'd be like informal, maybe just uh, other teachers getting together, like you were saying, like. Um, meeting online or having online maybe even facebook groups or something like that where you can share your you know your tips about teaching oh yeah yeah, yeah. um we actually have one on facebook there we go. it's called dhh covid teachers uh. we're sharing our resources okay. what to do and how to get captions what programs are cool, 
but many of them are just lost. Mm -hmm. They're just lost. I mean, if you think about it, we have no national system where we say, hey, this is what we expect you to do for your deaf education. This is, here's your list, this and this and this and this. I mean, there's just, I mean, I just kind of look at my hands and say, (laughs) well, I don't have anything. So it's really, it's really sad. It's really sad. It sounds like that's a possible project though for you. Is that something that you're interested in? in? I mean, speaking of projects, (laughs) uh, speaking of projects, um, I just uh, signed up to uh, co-host and like an exciting uh, DHH thing with Mr. Stefan. Uh, both of us are in the planning stages of doing a free workshop. I don't know that I would really call it a workshop. I don't think that's the appropriate word for it, but I think it would be more of a creative awareness for deaf educators mm-hmm. uh, by having people participate in the platforms of discussion, ex- their experiences. I'm not talking about like deaf, deaf people. I mean, there's many different kinds of deaf people, right. you know, hearing one ear, one ear is fine. Um, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and right. on and on and on and list all the different types, but I won't, <laughs> I won't do that. Uh, but right now we are trying to produce like a fun and exciting event um, that could be free for the public to just kind of say, hey, this is, this is what we want you to do for us. Mm-hmm. Just treat us equally. Um, I'm trying to develop something other than that as like a PowerPoint for hearing DHH teachers on how to teach general ed teachers that work with deaf students rather than just saying, here's your paper, here's their accommodations, Mm -hmm. make it happen, go away. Um, No, no. I want to develop something where I can teach DHH teachers, general ed teachers and say, okay, think about how you could reduce the assignment to the student's mastery level Mm -hmm. and explaining how to do that, explaining everything to do with that. I mean, I have so many things that I want to do that right now. I am in a doctorate program for special education. Wow. A lot of people say, oh, why not uh, deaf education? I'm like, I already have a master's in deaf education, but my field really focuses on K through 12 of deaf education and possibly nonverbal students. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, sign language can help those with like, without speech, I mean, I'm just kind of going off on my own, but I would love to do like a community presentation, you know, an awareness to be provided for every district Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, you need just the ableism. You need to teach them how they can get through to that student and their families. Because if you don't have the family support, your jar, your job is going to be that much harder. Mm-hmm. 
So that's where I'm at kind of right now. So give me three more years and you will see. <laughs> I mean, you won't even know. <laughs> but that's that's my hope. That's my hope to help in public settings, mm-hmm. which means public education. Yes. Yeah. I think that's such a good point because I think back last year when I got my deaf student in my class and it really was just like, here's his IEP, um, make sure you, you use the mic. And that was it. And it was, and it was hard. It was, and he struggled. And I mean, it's, he was new. It's what a way to start your freshman year. Like it was just such a struggle for him and you could really see it in his face. He just was not happy. And and his mom was struggling too, because suddenly her her son was not happy, and she's she's been struggling his whole life. So it, and I think thinking back now, it's like no, there was nothing else provided for us. And it, oh, other the other thing they said is when you do videos, make sure there's closed captions. And so, and that's actually for the last year, I started realizing I should have always been closed captioning my videos. First of all. And what's the best way to do that? Because I, when I do it by myself, it takes a very long time. And and actually, the last interview we did it was with the teacher who used to be a lawyer, and she was like, "You got to go to the court reporter school." I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, why are we not doing that? That's such a good, you know, like the what are some ways that we can get there's, and for me that was like, there's no excuse then. I'm gonna have to get all my stuff closed captioned now at the local court reporter school." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if this would ever happen, but this is my dream. You know how every district has like a technology department Mm -hmm. and they know what to do for everything and they're so smart because why doesn't every district set up something where the teachers can submit it to them Mm -hmm. and have their videos captioned? And then when they receive it, it's ready to go rather than the teachers feeling like they have that extra burden exactly. on how to do that when you have 25 to 30 other students and then you have a deaf student included in your class. I mean, understand where like, I understand where the general ed teachers are coming from. So I'm not against them at all. I just feel like, oh my God, because many of them have never had a special ed student or a special ed background or any training or even a PD on how to provide support Mm -hmm. rather than just here's the paper, boom. That's what they did. That's what they did. And here's the mom's phone number. (laughs) And so, yeah, I I think that makes sense. And we talk a lot about universal design for learning. Like I, I got my credential through Teachers College and that's kind of one of their things right now is pushing UDL. And um, when I got this student and realized I should have been closed captioning everything all along, it went back to the UDL model where I actually do better when I watch a video and it's closed captioned. We have our TV is constantly closed captioned and there's no one deaf in our house. It just makes it easier for us. It teaches our kids how to read. And so it just, it was like, oh, of course I should have everything closed captioned because my I have kids with audio processing issues. I have kids that, um, they have ADHD, like it just helps when you can see the words and it would make, so I, cause I, my first thought was what excuse would the district come up with? You always have to think of what excuse they're going to come up with. Cause they're going to come up with one. And I would that probably they, well, we don't have that many. Deaf, 
always. Always. <laughs> I can say that. I mean, I don't want to get in trouble, but always. But it's true. <laughs> and and it's my... true. I mean, that's part of the issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. And so in um, my mind, they're going to say, we don't have that many deaf and hard of hearing kids. But closed captioning would benefit every single student and teacher. So it's like, but it, and if you're really about UDL, then you'll provide the resources to make sure teachers can do UDL. Yes. Yes. It's really sad because if people think about those students with those needs, do they ever really think about them? No. Mm. No. Because they only think about the hearing students that are just kind of going along. But again, I don't think it's the teacher's fault because many of the universities and the teacher training programs, they forget mm -hmm. about the students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. They forget about them. So in general, I just want to say thank you for sharing your experience because it's very brave of you to admit that to a deaf adult. I know many teachers who are not comfortable discussing anything with a deaf adult, especially one that's a teacher, they feel like intimidated. Oh my God, it's a different language. Oh, oh I'm not going to ask you for help. because I don't want you to think that I can't do my job. So, so my hope from here on out is people learn and realize that every child learns differently. So why not include all of the resources? Exactly. So that's something, you know, that I want to do. I mean, for if you think about how to do and like how to think. So, I mean, you don't always want to say, well, how do you think? How do you think? Instead, say, think about from the student's perspective. If they're quiet, does it mean that they're not participating? Right. And I want to, like, engage the classroom discussion. And so I'm going to don't. Don't tap them. Maybe think that they're embarrassed. Maybe they have some trauma. Maybe they're trying to prevent themselves from participating from that standpoint. So um, that's what I try to explain to people. Think, how can you help that student become confident? Not think, ugh, oh, ableism, they can't do it. Oh, my other students, they whatever. I mean, what's the point of trying with just that one? The other ones are fine. Mm -hmm. So where I see a big issue is the teachers are burnt out. I mean, mm -hmm. I have seen so many teachers that are just like crying for help. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we do this? And they're not getting answers from the administration because unfortunately many of those administrators are also not trained right. in special ed. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I'm so sorry for no, saying all no. this. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm really curious about, I, I understand, you know, you're, you're working on a project with Stefan. I understand that you are working on your PhD. It seems like you're setting yourself up to be very uh, involved in a leadership role. Um, can you share anything about that? What, what are your goals? Oh, that's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> so my goal, uh, basically, um, eventually, I would love to be part of the California Department of Education. Mm. Yes. 
Oh, I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, to become part of like the DHH unit. Mm -hmm. Because there's no one to like sit in and listen to like what each program has as a concern. I would just love to be like, hey, don't worry. We have it ready. We have a template set up for you. You can type in a list of like a plan and a goal and an objective and we can add sign to it. Um, just our curriculum. You're more than welcome to use it. At the same time, we could give them like exposure to presentations about awareness, awareness. Um, especially to administration, mm -hmm. um, especially the SELPA administration. Um, mm. I don't want to name names, but I just feel like those who are the bosses of the bosses, they need to be exposed first mm. to get it. And once they get it and they say, oh, we've been lacking these resources. We need to do this. Maybe we can motivate our teachers to say, hey, hey, rather than focusing on one way of doing it, why don't we use this way? Really, my passion is K through 12 and education. But again, I am in the doctorate program for special ed. And the reason why I did that is because I just don't want people to marginalize me for only focusing on the deaf education, on the education of the deaf. Yeah. So I wanted to do all of it to prove that and say, I'm just not focusing on one that's like me. Really, what I want to do is at this point, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I think a leadership role um, and maybe with the California Department of Education, I think that's one of my faraway goals because um, I've been recently told that I can't become an admin because I'm, I'm not hearing. Is that actually legally allowed? That sounds like discrimination. <laughs> That sounds like straight up discrimination. That's crazy. So if you look at all of the um, Edison jobs, look at them. Um, it says you, you must be hearing, you must verbalize, uh, you must use your own eyes to be able to do your work. So oh. if you look at their description and like the physical section of it, um, it's interesting, but if you look at like every district, they have like a no discrimination mm -hmm. clause. Mm -hmm. So that is incredible. Really, really. So that's one of my, uh, oh, you about pissed me off right now and I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> I'm going to walking in with my like high heels and I'm going to get my team and I'm going to have my two my assistant, my two interpreters, I'm going to have my note taker and I'm going to say, this is, this is my personal thing. Here you go. Thank you for telling me that I couldn't. Mm -hmm. You needed me to fight for it. So rather than being sad or crying about it, which I did <laughs> for about minutes and then I reminded myself, uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. Nope, it is not going to happen. So I'm hoping that Within the 10 years, you'll see me up there. You'll see me up there. So that is the same message that I want for my students and for them to know. If someone tells you no. You don't take that for an answer. Nope. 
raise the bar, mm. raise the, the bar and prove them wrong. And that's how you open doors. You're already, I'm sure, a huge role model for all your children. And I can't wait till you're a role model for all teachers. And I really think that you're just doing an amazing work. So mm -hmm. intelligent, so courageous. Very, very, very proud to be here talking to you today. Um, it's been a pleasure. We're, we're about an oh, hour and a half God. in. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, just we really hope that we keep in touch, that we are able to do this again, um, and that you let us know if there's anything we can do to be a support uh, and you know just be an advocate for any anything that you're working on because I think you're doing beautiful work. Yeah, we want to help that. Oh, I will. Oh, I will. Um, I just like got a tip from another person who actually, I mean, you know, Mr. Stefan, yeah. um, <laughs> I love his work. I love his curriculum. And I think he's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, he did give me something that really made me think. Um, he said, you're deaf yourself. You grew up in the public setting. So why don't you start like your own social media page on like deaf education? Yes. So starting that soon. So I'll keep you posted on that. That's definitely. No, I was thinking this yes. earlier. You could be my first one. I know. <laughs> because I was thinking about, so I, I downloaded TikTok. I don't post on it, but I like to watch it. And I follow a few deaf creators or hard of hearing creators. And they, they talk about ableism and how to be anti-ableist. And I and going back to it, Mr. Stefan, his whole thing in his interview was about using pop culture as a vehicle to be anti-ableist and to advocate for people with disabilities and this is exactly it first of all he's doing what he talked this about is it. uplifting up an, an advocate of the community but then also there is so much potential there just on TikTok alone if you if you ever download the app or have it you follow these creators they have thousands like 1.6 16.5 million you know and it's just like, people want to learn. And these creators are creating some really important information. So yeah, you can definitely, you're gonna be up there. You're gonna be getting some followers. I think so, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I just need to figure out how to start it because that's my issue. I have so much. Oh my God, yeah. Back, but I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> I feel like I'm feel like like Edison. Like, oh my God! Yeah. Uh, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> or Albert Einstein. I'm, I, I apologize, wrong name. But important, most importantly, like the navigating through that. So, yeah. um, you guys convinced me. I'm done. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to do it. We Representation. Have you got to represent. We have each other's phone, uh, phone numbers now too, so we can just like help each other out and talk. Talk. Let's be in touch. Creator, just talk. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait so, to meet you for real in person, too. One day. <laughs> yes, 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 definitely. Tell Stefan to come over or something. I know. <laughs> for sure. He'll figure it out. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for even giving me a platform to do this. Uh, because really, deaf education, deaf people, deaf children, it includes all people with hearing loss. Hearing loss, they have been so marginalized for 
so as far as we can remember so again you can always sell that concept of ada that it's only 30 years old so just you know think about that and how much evidence and how much research we have from that it's really not a lot that's why you're so inspiring because you're a pioneer in in this in this movement and Mm -hmm. I really believe that you're making a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm not used to having people tell me that because people always just, they don't use someone with that experience as a specialist. Like I'm the first step teacher. Hey, come on. Maybe you should have asked, how are you able to learn two different languages at the same time? Like, you know, I mean, I just don't know what to say. Maybe it's autism, mm-hmm. you know, part of the, the system in that way. So if you look at the word autism, ableism, linguisticism, mm-hmm. though, well, and of course, you know, discrimination, oppression and all that, that's its own little category. But if you check out those three you will realize there's a lack of bicultural and bilingual approaches and theories for those students in the public setting. Because you have to understand that the state schools for the deaf, I would never talk down on them. They already have a history established, a beautiful design of everything that they do, but What about the rest of the deaf students that are in a public school? Right. Where is their rights? Uh, Because if you really think about it, it's a a basic human right to be able to have access to language. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm So anyway, anyway, sell this, sell it. Sell it. You guys got it. I've definitely got it. Like, I feel like we've been slowly getting some listeners here, but I feel like this episode, I've got to push this one. I got to, I got to, I got to do some. (laughs) We're definitely going to get it captioned. That's for sure. Yeah. We, I did (laughs) contact some court reporter schools this week. So I'm hoping to get some people transcript transcribing my, my podcast now. (laughs) But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. No, you guys are champs. Like deaf people say, we use this term champ. It means the best. So understand sign. There's not really a a true interpretation of champ. So we just say, (laughs) champ, you're the best. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Educators Not Robots. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you access your podcasts on and leave us a review. Whenever we get reviews, it helps boost visibility for our podcast and so we can draw in more listeners. Thanks again for your support and we hope that you listen again soon.